and welcome back to the What The Fork Sunderland preview show. We have fully enjoyed the championship this season, but our attention does turn to the FA Cup this weekend as we make a lovely visit to London to Old Craven Cottage to face Fulham. Um, as always, we're going to be here to preview the clash and to see what's been going on with Fulham since the last time the sides met each other. And I'm delighted to welcome a man who does a million and one things, but for the sake of this podcast, is a contributor to the fantastic Fulhamish podcast, Jack Collins. Jack, it's been about... Five years, mate, and things have changed a lot. But how are you? You're right. I'm very well, thank you, mate. And thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. It's um, I'm looking forward to this game. Looking forward to, to having Sunderland back in town. So it, it's a nice occasion all round, I think. I was going to say, we'll get straight to it. I was actually quite pleased with the draw. I can't go, sadly. But at the time, I was like, oh, form away. Class away day. Um, but it's a real test for Sunderland to see how far we've come this season against what is a very good Premier League team. How was the draw seen by Fulham fans, though? I think. I think in a kind of different way, I I was excited about this draw, but I wish it was at your gaff. That, that was the way I was looking at it. I spent four very happy years in the northeast of England and I was looking uh, forward to a, a visit back to the stadium of light. So that was my only my only kind of caveat. I was like, oh, it would have been nice for it to be an away day. But I think a lot of people will feel the same the other way. I think when you look at this from a kind of Fulham perspective, a lot of people are looking at this and going, wow, we're much further up the Premier League table than we thought we were going to be. We're much closer to safety than we thought we were going to be. And whilst heads are full of dreams of sneaking in in seventh place and going on a bit of a European tour or whatever that is, I think that most people are like, hang on, we could have a go at a cup run for the first time in a long time without it contributing. And look, whilst this yo-yo narrative around Fulham has, has probably been overplayed a little bit in the media, I do think there's an element of when you're either trying to scrap for your lives in the Premier League or trying to go up from the championship and, you know, you know, better than I this year, how how much of a scrap that is, the, the relentless nature, the pace of the championship. There's that kind of element of like, do we have the facilities to go for a cup run? And, and for so long, the answer has just kind of been no. And I think for the first time, it's kind of opened up. Obviously, you've seen a couple of the big guns knocked out of the FA Cup already. A couple of the others have drawn each other early on. And I think there's a sense around Fulham, it's like, Wow, this could be a good year to you know to maybe have a go. We you know got to the semi-finals in in the early two thousands, got to a quarter a little bit after that. But it hasn't been a particularly hunt happy hunting ground for Fulham. You know since that nineteen seventies trip to the final where we lost to West Ham, which is Fulham's best ever performance. So I think generally it was one of those that's approached with. Well, Sunderland are playing well. They're you know a, a far stronger side than the last time these two sides met. And yet to get a draw against lower division opposition for this season, the very least, is always one where you go, hang on, we can win that. And with that caveat that maybe a run could be on the cards, I think it was received pretty well as, as a draw. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite happy with the draw ourselves and I can I can completely understand that viewpoint 100%. And I think, you know, obviously, as I stated before, it's quite exciting for us because yeah, it's a really good away day, but film are a very good Premier League team. Now, I've got to be honest, I wasn't sure whether... I'd be saying that six months ago. I don't think any of us were, so you're you're in good company. Absolutely, mate. I think, you know, Fulham, as you said before, has maybe been overplayed and you'll know better than I do, but there's been a few seasons of promotion, a couple of seasons of relegation, and I think people thought the same might happen. Um, but, like, without using a, a cheesy phrase, you've smashed it so far. Um, currently sits seventh in the table. From the outside looking in, it's quite hard to understand why it's done well, aside from the fact that Mitrovic is really good, but he was with you last time. So why has it gone so well for Fulham this season? I think when you look at the last couple of campaigns in in both the Championship and the, and the Premiership, obviously we came up 
through the playoffs the last two times that Fulham have been promoted. Once under Jakanovic, where Fulham had made that kind of late steam into the playoffs and felt like we were the, the team with the momentum. And then under Parker, where we probably weren't the best side in the playoffs. You know, we beat Brentford in that final that didn't have any fans at Wembley. Mm. And in a very sort of strange game, a derby without fans in a cup final, it's all like, whoa, this is this is a lot. And I mean, I don't know if, if things would have gone the same if there were fans there, the pressure would have been absolutely unbelievable. But you kind of look at those figures and you go, right, those teams needed complete overhauls when they got to the Premier League because the quality of player in those two sides just wasn't, quite good enough to step up. There were a few players who were exceptions to that rule. And I think Mitrovic is probably one of them. You know, Tom Kearney, Tim Ream, fine, doing really well this season. But generally, those players weren't the ones, you know, that Fulham then got to the Premier League and went, oh, no, we've got to buy everything. We'll, we'll start a team with nine new players on the first day. And those teams weren't given the time to gel. They didn't gel. We had managerial sackings. We had chaos in the ranks, et cetera, et cetera. Second time around, it's a bit different under Parker, but much of the same story, you know, trying to force too much on it at once. Whereas this time when Fulham won the championship, it felt like it was a kind of, right, this is a procession to the title in many ways, but also it's a, we've learned how to play against different types of teams. And the turnover this summer was quality rather than quantity. And I genuinely think that's that's the big difference. You know, Fulham brought in some solid centre-half cover in, in Issa Diop. They brought in a Premier League goalkeeper who was proven at, you know, shot-stopping. And might, while he might not have been the best distributor and had to leave Arsenal for that reason, Bern Leno was always a good keeper. He just didn't bring what Arteta wanted. And then Sharpalina, who's been absolutely different gear through through the entire season. He's come in from from Sporting. He was a Champions League player. He looks like a Champions League player. And and I think you you watch him around the pitch. His influence and his kind of physicality in the middle has just changed Fulham from a team that were really really easy to play through through the centre to a team that are really hard to break down and who have the talent in in, in Mitrovic and in in Willian who's kind of revitalised his career and you could say the same for Andreas Pereira who, who left Manchester United. You know, these players have come in hungry, point to prove on the way up rather than the recruitment of kind of scattergun before. And and that overhaul has been far less under Marcus Silva. I think that's a major part in why it's kind of ca- carried on from the championship season to the to the Premier League one. It's interesting you mentioned um, recruitment because my next question was going to be, is it down to recruitment? But you've answered that. So that's good. That, that's, that's, that's that one covered. <laughs> um, but I think recruitment's massive. I think, you know, uh, if you look at, some of them fans will be listening to us talking about recruitment. And if you remember last time we played each other, the reason we were so much in the shit is because our recruitment was shit Aye. and then put on Netflix. Um, been all right this season. Uh, not been too bad. But I think what's most interesting for me, and again, it's probably because we've missed each other the past five years. There's a reason Aye. we haven't caught up in five years. We haven't played each other because we've had very separate, um, very separate seasons, shall we say, for the last half a decade. And yeah. Marco Silva... Odd manager in many ways. He built up this really glowing reputation with um, Watford. Then it all went a bit ski-whiff when he went to Hull. Didn't really work out with Everton. I mean, Everton's a different conversation entirely. That's a separate podcast on its own. Um, But what's he brought up Fulham? Why has it been right with him and the the marriage being right between Marco Silva, Fulham, and and obviously the fans and everything together? I think there's a couple of factors. uh, And I, I think one of them is that from kind of early doors, and, you know, I've just spoke about hungry players, you know, looking to restore their reputations. I think Silva has been given that you know, in a, in a managerial capacity. This is a man who came through at, you know, one of the Portuguese big three, did well, was well desired in England. It fell off. And then he had that break from the end of the Everton season 
to basically when he took over at Fulham. It's a long period for a manager, a young manager especially, to be out of work. So when Fulham came calling, I think it was an opportunity for him to rebuild at a club that were probably going to challenge at the sharp end of the championship, an opportunity for him to restore his reputation in England. But I also just think he's found a place where he feels relatively happy. And, and obviously the managerial merry-go-round is in full swing at the moment. And yet there's just not many links to or, or kind of rumours of Silver leaving. And I think it's down to the fact that he feels supported in a way that maybe previous managers haven't. Um, he came in with a very set kind of philosophy of this is how I want to do things. I want, you know, same recruitment, which hadn't happened beforehand or had happened to a lesser extent, I should probably say. Uh, and then, you know, you pair that with the fact that his assistant at Everton and, and now at Fulham is Louis Bomorte, who is a Fulham legend, who scored the goal that the last time Fulham beat Chelsea in a in a league game, which is painfully back in 2006. Thankfully, we've rectified that this season. It's not been a, a particularly two-sided derby, let's put it that way, for, for quite some time. And, and I think there's that immediate link then with the fan base, who was so delighted to see a legend of the club back in the dugout alongside him. He kind of anchors Silver to the club and the fans, which is a really nice kind of element to be in. And then I think, you know, you, you kind of this whole thing is just he is a brilliant attack minded manager who knows exactly what he wants to do. And there have been some managers and, you know, Parker, probably the easiest example of this. And it's easy to criticize. And I have been critical of, of Parker in hindsight. He also scrapped Fulham out of the championship. Now, whether he should have done better with that team or not is, is a slightly different question. But he scrapped Fulham out of the championship with a kind of mentality where like maybe we'll be able to use this this mentality in the Premier League to, to scrap our way through games to hold on to things. Turned out that Fulham basically didn't score for an entire season. So that wasn't particularly enjoyable from, from any of our perspective. Silver came in, revitalised it, scored a what club record amount of goals in the championship, scored, Mitrovic scored the, the championship record in terms of goals last season. And he's come into the Premier League and not kind of compromised on those principles and yet hasn't sent Fulham out in the kind of Yakanovich gung-ho, we'll try and beat you 4-3 if you're Liverpool, which is not the smartest manoeuvre in the entire world philosophy. So Silva's been adaptable, he's been smart, and there's this kind of link between him and the club and the point to prove. I think all of it together has just made for a, co a concoction, a cocktail that has just really worked on the backs of the Thames. You mentioned Mitrovic there. I did want to mention him because obviously... Yeah, he has links to the other side of the sea. I, I appreciate it. When he was at Newcastle, I think they paid about 12 million, which at, at the time, big money, but he couldn't hit a barn door with a banjo, basically. But he's gone to Fulham, scored a ridiculous amount of goals. Um, maybe a silly question, but is he already a Fulham legend, Mitrovic, for what he's done over the past few seasons? Yeah, I think so. I mean, he's he's closing in, not necessarily on on the all time record, but he is closing in, in in terms of where he stands in the Fulham pantheon. And there are some some great names in in that pantheon. There's some some really big names from from history. But I think in terms of the modern Fulham era, you have this silver team at the moment, and you have Roy Hodgson's team that that got to the Europa League final. And you know the comparisons are being drawn already. Maybe that's a little bit people in the moment giving it large, but th that's where the kind of the look is. And, and you're looking at the Brian McBrides, you're looking at the Clint Dempsey's of, of this world who have their place in full and folklore. I think that Mitrovic has, has pretty much cemented his. And, you know, there's been periods where this hasn't been easy. The, that Parker season I mentioned, he basically didn't get on the pitch. He, Parker didn't utilize him as a striker. He said he wasn't the kind of player he wanted. 
And then you look at what Silver then did with him the next year and you think, mm, maybe that wasn't the choice that I, I would have made personally. But, you know, he, he nearly left. Fulham were looking at bids from him from, from Russia, from China at times, and big money bids. And yet he's kind of turned it down. He stayed and he's kind of settled his family within it. And he's another one who probably at the time felt like a bit of a nomad, right? He, he'd gone to Anderlecht from, from Partizan. He then went to Newcastle. And then he didn't really get a look in and, and he came to Fulham as a kind of broken man in, in some ways, or at least uh, someone who people were questioning about his, his place in English football. And then that has obviously continued through the years in terms of can he do it in the Premier League? I think those questions are finally being put to bed, which is which is quite nice. But I, I think in terms of what he's provided in two championship seasons and now a premiership season, there, there can be no doubt that in the modern Fulham kind of pantheon, he's right up there. How many did he score last season? I'm sure it was 43 or something like that, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, it was 43 goals. Yeah. That's ridiculous. It's, just, it's ludicrous. It's silly. It's like, num- you know, especially, and I think that the funny thing about it was obviously Ivan Tony had scored 31 the season prior and we were getting it in the neck from Brentford about yeah. the fact that Ivan Tony was the guy and then Mitrovic smashed the record in, smashed his record in January and then went on to score, you know, 43 and you're, you're going, all right, it's, it's gone a little bit quieter over there in, in Hounslow, which is, which is quite nice to, uh, it's always nice to just, just quieten things down a little bit, but yeah, it's a ludicrous amount of goals. And at times he was just unplayable. And I think this season at times he's been unplayable too, but obviously the, the, the quality has, has gone up. There have been games where he's not been the man expected there have been games where he's been injured where he's been suspended although he still has never had a red card for Fulham which is one of my favorite stats considering he's considered the hothead um Mm -hmm. but he yeah he's 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 a wonderful footballer and he has that capacity to just make teams make teams really kind of shiver you know it's just like you stick the ball up at the back stick and pretty much any defender in the world is going oh geez it's not him please like he's just like this big ball of muscle that launches himself at everything and and it's terrifying i imagine if you're a defender he seems like the kind of player that would just like chuck his head at a brick wall if he needs to which is not the safest thing to do don't try that at home but um slight negative you come in on the back of the game at the weekend on the back of two one nil defeats it is against Spurs and the other team from the northeast who are playing quite well. Um, is there any concern from a Fulham perspective over those games, or is it a case of quality opposition? Unfortunately, it's just ended up on the wrong, the wrong side of a one-nil defeat. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the sadly, the only team that have actually fully put us to the sword this season were the other side from the northeast, and that was in the home game. But we probably should have caught a point up at their space. We probably should have got a point out of the Spurs game. Fulham have had a horrible habit of dropping points in the last minutes to teams in the top six of the Premier League table. In fact, I think it's naught from naught points from all the games that we've played against anyone above us in the table this season. The good news is that it's been a really good return from pretty much everything else. And and so when you're looking at that, you're going, well, obviously that's an area to improve in, but if they're the, if they're the only games that we're really losing and, and kind of we're competitive in all of them, it's fine. I think there was a bit of, the only thing that concerns me I mean, I think that there are plenty of players in the Sunderland squad who can pr- cause pr- Fulham problems. Um, and, and I think that considering it's a cup game and the fact that, you know, there's kind of, I think both teams are at a point where, um, you know, please correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a bit like, well, the season could have a cup run. You know, that, that's that's where we're at. It, it's kind of like a cup run could do both sides of the world a good. I think both sides would love a cup run this season. And, and that's where we're kind of at with it. So there's always that kind of danger 
And there's always the danger of a side in good form from a division below. And we know because we've been that side coming and, and causing an upset. But I, I think when you when you kind of look at it and you go, Fulham played against Spurs, we looked a bit emotionally drained. And, and I wonder if that's the kind of double from obviously beating Chelsea for the first time in so many years at the cottage that, and then going straight up, playing really well at St. James' Park and and then losing in the last minute. And I wonder if there's just a little bit of, of kind of emotional hangover from those. But generally, I, I haven't been hugely worried about our performances or, or results against the top six thus far. Yeah, I agree on the one to get a point against Spurs. I watched the majority of that game and I, I do agree with you on that, actually. Um, you talked about the, the West London derby, obviously, against Chelsea. It's only a couple of weeks ago, but it's coming back again the week after, I think. Yeah. Um, with that in mind, are we likely to see a full-strength film on Saturday or do you think there's a potential arrest players with such a big game in mind? Because evidently you need to keep a few points ahead of Chelsea, which I didn't think I'd be saying at this point in the season, but I might as well say it to make sure that you've got a nice smile on your face there. Aye, aye so we'll be getting a nosebleed if we get any higher in this table. <laughs> I'll give you that for free. Um, I, I think there will be rotation. Um, I don't think it's necessarily in terms of players resting. I think there's a couple of players you know, banging on the door on on the sidelines. And, you know, that game, as you talked about, Carlos Vinicius came in for Mitrovic, he was suspended, scored the winner. That was his first real moment in a Fulham shirt. And obviously then Mitrovic comes back in because he's the main man, he's the number nine, he's the talisman. And so you kind of keep him on the pitch as much as you can. So I would wager that Carlos Vinicius gets a go um, in the FA Cup, just because you kind of want to get him on a little bit of a run of competitive football after after that, such a high in that Chelsea game. And, and so I think he comes in. He doesn't really change the style that Fulham play because he is a, a Mitrovic light in, in so many ways. He is going to win those aerial duels. He will look to bring others into play. Um, I think Manus Solomon, who was signed in the summer from, from Shakhtar Donetsk, was, is a player that we were really excited about, took a big injury hit straight away. And same for Harry Wilson, who was so good last year. Those two, I'd imagine, will probably start either side. They haven't been given the minutes, really, because everyone else has been playing so well. But I think that we've been looking at them in, in late on in games to kind of try and make a difference recently. And the kind of match sharpness that's lacking is a little bit obvious. So I would imagine those two get a game and, and the midfield engine room looks a wee bit knackered at the moment. So I wonder if if he gives a bit of a breather to either Polina or Reed and, and brings in Nat Chalaber or, or someone like that. But generally, I, I wouldn't say it's going to be a heavily rotated side. I think there will be four or five changes, but they aren't changes to be like, oh, this isn't full strength Fulham. They are very much changes to be like, right, let's get the squad players minutes so that they can start making impacts in games. We're doing really well this season. We're very happy. Yeah. Um, I'm actually really enjoying supporting something for the first time in about a decade. I know you watch an awful lot of football, um, so I trust you've seen something more than, than most. What have you um, made of our return to the Championship? It's been very impressive, isn't it? And I think that anyone who's saying otherwise is either a Newcastle fan or, or perhaps potentially a Borough one after the weekend. But, you know, you're, you're looking at this and going, right, that's a side that have, you know, in many ways... We've yo-yoed up and down. You've had those moments as well, right? You know, in in terms of getting back and and forth to the championship, and and you know, ultimately looking at that Premier League return, it is it is one of those where it finally feels. I think from from at least my perspective, and, and from watching far fewer games than than you guys and, and everyone listening, I'd imagine that the squad finally feels like it has some balance, and it's not completely and utterly thrown together with with like odd bods from here and there who are, who are being forced into different positions. And I think, obviously, you look at how it's kind of panned out and, you know, Tony Mowbray, I imagine, 
was brought in and, and it was kind of like, oh, not sure what's going to go on here. But he seems to have just found a nice rhythm with this side. And and, and actually, you look at quite a lot of these players, I think. And, and obviously, I have particular interest in, in Patrick Roberts, who is what, probably my favourite youth player I've ever seen at Fulham. I was absolutely 100% convinced that Patrick Roberts was going to the absolute top of the game. I was just really hoping he'd declare for Ireland. Um, but it was, you know, Patrick, I think it's Patrick Michael Anthony Declan Roberts. I was like, he's got to be one of ours. That's definitely but, um, an Irish name. Definitely exactly. an Irish name. So I was I was hoping for that eventually. But I, I think you, you look at that and obviously it wasn't the easiest introduction for him w- when he came. But he feels like he's he's getting some somewhere with it. Ahmad Diallo obviously has has had a, a very, very impressive season thus far. And I think when you're looking at these kind of players, I remember, you know, watching the Sunderland kind of additions. And I think it was that season where Roberts was there and, and Jack Clark was there and, and Alex Pritchard was there. And I was like, that's a very good, that's a very good sort of three behind the striker. You're looking at that and going, those are three players who were considered, you know, mid-table Premier League quality not that long ago. And, and, and to build a squad around that kind of, attacking unit is a really sensible maneuver now obviously the balance was out and, and all the different things but I do think when you look at you know the, the goal scoring record that the Ross Stewart's had obviously both in League One and and has carried that into the championship it just feels like he's brought maybe a little bit more I don't know it's, it's hard to say but I kind of charisma is the wrong word but magnetism maybe to that front line and allowed those players around him to actually get the ball down and and actually do what they do best. So so I I mean I think when you're looking at this side and you're going right there there is far more about it that I, I kind of like and see what what's going on. I can see what the game plans are. I can see what Sunderland are trying to do. And I think we saw that you know obviously in in, in the derby against Middlesbrough at the weekend. It, it was very much a you know I was talking to one of my friends who's who's a Borough fan. And he was like, you know, it's annoying. And he was like, I thought the penalty in the red card might have been a wee bit harsh, but there's no way that we deserve to win the game. And and I think that's about as as good as it looks. And that's a borough side that have looked really good in, in recent times under Michael Carrick. So I think when you're looking at those kind of games and looking at the team that's been put together by Mowbray, there's plenty of here that I, I look at and go, right, this is a side that knows how to cause problems to teams. This is a side that if you let these wide players get the ball down and play, they're going to cause your fullbacks problems. And the goal-scoring form that this year is in, I, I don't think there's any doubt that he can score goals at pretty much any level. So I, I do think there's plenty there to trouble Fulham if, if the if the whole thing isn't completely correct on Saturday. I did want to ask you about Patrick Roberts because obviously I think it was about 14 million he went for at the time. It was, it was a decent whack of cash for like, I think he was 12 at the time, potentially. <laughs> um, he had obviously a great time at Celtic. I think everyone yeah. knew he had two very good loan spells here. Obviously, like, when I got to see him up close and I thought, well, He'll either go there on a permanent deal or he'll go somewhere else and do really well. And he, to- he turned into a total, like you say, he was nomadic for, for ages. And when when he came to us last January, I think the reputation was like, oh, Patrick's you know, got this potential, but why has he been at Twa? Why has he been at Middlesbrough? Why has he been at Derby? Why has he been everywhere and never really stuck? And the hope was that he'd find a home and he'd do well. Six months later, he scores in the last minute to send us to Wembley um, against Sheffield Wednesday. But then in the summer... He sorry in the, the start of the season couldn't really get in the team under Alex Neil. Gradually he's got back into it and now he's become one of our best players. And obviously his pass for Stewart's run through that one, the, the penalty, which was definitely a penalty. Um <laughs> I agree with you for what it's worth, but I, I was yeah. I was pl- I was placating a pal. <laughs> I, I I'm well, I'm biased. Um 
but he's doing really, really well. And I think probably from a perspective of someone who watched him from a very young age, because I'll come on at one of our youth products in a moment, that's got a link with Fulham as well. But um, how pleased are you for Patrick that he's, he's kind of finding a home and finding his form and he's he's looking t- to me every better player that could, if we were to get promoted at any point in a couple of years, could handle himself without any problem. Yeah, I mean, I'm absolutely over the moon. I remember going to see the, you know, the Fulham youth team that had him in it with Moussa Dembele, who's obviously a Leon now and is touted to Manchester United every time there's a transfer window. Um, but they were, they terrorised teams. You know, Dembele was just a goal-scoring machine, but every bit of magic in the side was Roberts. And it was one of those where you go, you were watching the Fulham team and you're going, get Patrick the ball, get Patrick the ball. And he was a year younger than so many others and playing in the 18s and 21s and going, yeah, this kid's a star. He's a superstar. And his kind of low center of gravity, obviously he was, he was given that kind of messy tag early on, which is always a kind of seems like a harbinger of doom for any sort of player that gets it. But there were those similarities. And I, I mean, I don't mean that in terms of the quality of player, but in terms of their style, the, the, that low balance, that ability to shift through impossible gaps, you could see exactly why those comparisons were being made. And obviously he went to Man City. And, and I, to be honest, at the time, I was relatively delighted for him. I was like, you know, that's a big move. And he's going to a place where they have nurtured young talent. They have found academy pathways. Not often, sure, but you know, those players who have, have shone have been given their opportunities in, in the likes of Phil Foden, Rico Lewis, you know, et cetera, et cetera. He went off to Celtic then and he looked every inch the player that I was like, right, there he is. And I remember him playing the Champions League. I believe he scored against City when he was on loan for them. And you're going, right, he's back. You know, and he obviously linked back up with Dembele at Celtic as well. I was like, right, that's a that's a partnership. That was split up. And I, I do think that there was an element there when he left Celtic and they did try to bring him back, I believe, that he was like, I don't know what to do next. And City kind of farmed him out to a couple of the, the clubs, as you say, you know, the Trois loan fell through. I, I think he went to Girona as well. And, and you know, all of those City football group clubs that kind of act as feeders and want to bring through their own talent I don't think he settled anywhere really and and so then it became oh god this is Patrick Roberts's last chance he's on loan at he's on loan at Norwich he's, he's on loan at Derby you can what, what's going on here why why can't he find somewhere so I'm delighted to see him feel comfortable again because I think when he's in that mind space when he's in that kind of place where he's happy He's just one of those players that's pure joy to watch. And, and I think we all need them every so often, don't we? I absolutely love Patrick Roberts. Not as much as my fiance, but he's a good looking boy, so I'll let him off. <laughs> um in reference to I was saying before about the uh the transfer window, and I always like to have a look at the the headlines and what's going on. And the only kind of one that was really interesting was something that popped up six days ago. So you can update me on this, but from a Sunderland perspective, obviously it has been a while since we face each other. But you've also been linked with a striker that you've already had that is one of our former players that was probably one of the only good players that has actually done that well for us in League One up until last season, Josh Madger. Um, he was obviously on loan to you, scored twice, I think, at Everton. Um, didn't really do much out of that. But he's been linked with a four to six million move to to Fulham. Uh, how highly do, do Fulham fans rate him? Because we really liked him, but obviously it was in League One. We didn't get to see him in the Premier League or, or anything else. Is that a good move? Is that something that's going to happen? I think generally the response to that rumor has been relatively negative from from Fulham fans, and and I don't necessarily think that's because anyone thinks that Madger is a is a bad player. Um, he's a strange one because obviously he went came through at Fulham or uh, very young, and then and then went to Sunderland and then came back, and it was like 
Mm, you know, he was kind of heralded as a saviour figure by Parker whilst he was still ostracising Mitrovic from the team. And so therefore there was this kind of internal debate that probably didn't exist within the club, but existed within the fan base of people being like, oh no, Josh Mitrovic is, is actually the answer, not Mitrovic. And then these kind of old school kind of view of no Mitrovic should be playing and it all kind of went a bit wrong I thought Manchester did all right for us to be perfectly honest with you a side that didn't score many goals I think he got sort of one in three when he was playing in in the Premier League with us in a side you know and, and under Parker where Fulham created very very little he didn't he didn't miss much that's like my overarching memory he had one chalked off I remember I think it would have been better but he had a, a goal chalked off that actually changed the VAR ruling on handballs afterwards and it was like okay that that probably should have stood so personally I, I quite like Madger but equally I'm a bit like if Fulham are playing a very obvious style under Marco Silva Carlos Vinicius being the backup to Mitrovic because he's basically the same player in a light version so that Fulham don't have to alter styles should something happen to Mitrovic I just don't think it makes huge amounts of sense right now but I don't think that that's any sort of slight on Madger as a player because I, I quite like him yeah and, and to be fair it, he didn't miss much for us in the six month he kind of played but very different level and um, but he always looked at that play that that could set up but I did find the link a bit weird a kind of my initial reaction when I read it was do they need him yeah and no, probably not. No, not for me. Um, if you want to come back to Sunderland, though, we do need a striker to back up Ross Stewart. He's more than welcome back if you want to realise his mistake of leaving. Um, I'd be delighted to see it. It wasn't really his fault, <laughs> bless him. We've all watched Netflix, haven't we? Um, my predictions are terrible, so I don't know why I'm even bothering because it pretty much shows how much I know absolutely sweet FA about football, but I'll do it anyway. Um, I think we'll perform well and get Nick 2-1 and... It'll be 1-1 to late on. And then, of course, Mitrovic, because of his connections, will score late on and we'll go, oh, well, that was a shame, but that was a nice day out. And then everyone will go out and get drunk in and around Putney Bridge. And that's my whole prediction for the day, which I didn't expect to give. But um, <laughs> you don't need to give me a prediction for the day, Jack, but what would be your prediction for um, Saturday? I was going to go 2-1 as well. I, I think that it will be tight. And I just think that they, it will be the subs off the bench that maybe actually make those differences. You know, the... I think Harry Wilson's got a point to prove. I think Manor Solomon mm. has a point to prove. And I think that if those two get the nod, then they might just just kind of spark Fulham into life. So I, I'm going to say 2-1 Fulham. And my prediction for the day, though, I will give you one. Yes. Uh, I get to sit in our new stand for the first time because I sit in the Hammersmith then, so my season ticket is. But all the tickets for this game were at the same price wherever you sit. And the new stands are normally well expensive because of like plushy seats and stuff. Um, but they were, all, they were all the same price. So I was like, wicked, I'm going to go sit in the new stand. So I'm excited to actually see what the hospitality of Craven Cottage is like at, at the new bit and, and have a little gander around the new stand. So that should be exciting. I've always wanted to go on the neutral end. Most people in there will probably be Sunderland fans at the weekend because I think, you know, when you get those kind of ones, it's a strange on the neutral end because it, it doesn't really exist anymore. Since they did the, the 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 stand extension, they moved a load of season ticket holders in there who used to be in the Riverside stand. So it, it kind of moved about. And the reason it was, given, it was a neutral end to begin with is because there's a FA ruling that you can't have two different sets of stands using the same turnstiles. And Fulham had no way of segregating that stand in terms of the, the the bit in behind. So that's why it was a thing to get around the fact that Fulham either had to give the whole stand up to away fans or find a way around it. And it was a it was a way round FA red tape. So there you go. Fun story for today. Every day is a school day. <laughs> 
Jack, obviously you do loads of really good stuff. Um, you're an incredibly busy man. You do loads of good stuff with Athletic, tons of stuff that I listen to. But um, if people haven't heard your stuff before, where, where can we find all your, your good stuff? Um, yeah, thanks. Um, I'm at Jack J. Collins on Twitter. Um, I run a sort of, I imagine that Fulham issue is not going to be of particular interest to most people, but uh, I do actually run a genuinely, a general football podcast called Ranks FC, uh, where we sort of talk about Europe's big leagues, really, and the Premier League included, just sort of spin our way around Europe and generally have a, a bit of a laugh. So if anyone fancies a new general football podcast to listen to, we'd love it if you came and give us a listen over at Ranks FC. Well, I was going to say, we might not listen to the phone podcast, but I've really enjoyed the Borough podcast this week, so you never know. Um, <laughs> but, um, well, you might enjoy Fulhamish next week, then we'll see. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, Jack, really good catching up, mate. I genuinely mean that. It's a shame that it's been so long, but um, keep up the good work. I'm sure you will. You don't need me to tell you that, but uh, thanks for popping on. It's been a pleasure. No, thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure and and, and great to catch up with you, mate. It's It's always a pleasure. I had a great time. Even better next season when we get promoted. 100%. Ha, ha, ha.